Hi, and welcome to the latest podcast from the Susie Lamplew Trust. I'm Suki Barker, Chief Executive of the Trust, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Sophie Mortimer, Helpline Manager of the Revenge Porn Helpline. There's a clear intersection between many of those who use revenge porn to stalk, so we're absolutely delighted to have you here today. The Helpline supports adults who are experiencing intimate image abuse and has been in place since 2015. There's also been a notable rise in demand to the helpline this past year, and we look forward to finding out why this is the case and what we can do to protect victims of revenge porn. Sophie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Suki. It's really great to be here talking to you. We're also joined by Samantha, manager of the London Stalking Support Service here at the Susie Lamplew Trust. And the service was actually born last year following a London-specific demand and has grown exponentially since. Thank you, Samantha, for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So our discussion today is on the experience of of helpline services for stalking victims during the pandemic. The National Stalking Helpline has seen a rise in calls since March 2020, with calls taking longer and being far more complex. We also know that being confined to their homes throughout lockdown, stalking victims have described themselves as sitting ducks, waiting for the next attack to happen. Our report on masking stalking published this week highlights the rise in cyber behaviours such as social media communications and hacking. However, we also know that offline behaviours have also shown no sign of decreasing. We know that helplines have had to adapt to these changes and ensure that victims are still being heard and protected. So although restrictions are now lifting, it's clear that some of these behaviours will be here to stay. So Sophie, I wanted to start by asking... Can you tell us a little about how the Revenge Porn Helpline works and what type of service it it provides? Sure. The Revenge Porn Helpline supports people who've been affected by intimate image abuse, which is the sharing of private sexual pictures and videos without consent, uh, usually with an intention to cause distress. So what we do is if someone comes to us, we advise them on the law as it relates to their particular case. We talk to them what reporting to the police might be like and what evidence it might be useful for them to take along with them. And we supply a signpost to appropriate services, such as yours. And most importantly for that client, we remove their online content where it's been shared. And that's a really big part of what we do. Thank you, Sophie, for for providing that overview. And and Sam, um, would you mind also talking us a little bit through uh, what the service um, in the London Stalking Support Service does? Sure. Uh, So the London Stalking Support Service was developed to provide an enhanced service to Londoners uh, and it's part of the National Stalking Helpline. So essentially, if someone is a victim of stalking in London, they can call the National Stalking Helpline and there's a London dedicated line off of that um, where they can get the same type of advice around safety planning, what the legislation is, their rights, uh, how to report to the police. Uh, as they would if they were calling the National Stalking Helpline. And if they're experiencing any particular issues, for example, maybe they've already tried reporting to the police and it hasn't been investigated or it's not being treated as stalking, then they are also eligible for an enhanced advocacy service uh, where advocates will really fight in their corner and act as their, their voice to ensure that their cases are treated seriously, recognized as stalking, and that their voices are heard. 
Thank you, Samantha. And th thank you both for that, that, that overview in terms of that support that the, the helplines provide. So Sophie, just, just coming back to you, how do you feel the pandemic has impacted victims this past year? I asked from a practical sp perspective in terms of the types of behaviours, but also from an emotional and psychological perspective. Well, we've definitely seen an increase in the number of cases. Our numbers have just gone through the roof in the last year. But along with that, we've seen um, many more that identifying uh, harassing or stalking behaviours. So case numbers were about 50% higher. And, and that was really reflected in the referrals that we were making to services such as yours. So th there is a real concern there that uh, the, the lockdown... It made the experience of abuse so much harder to deal with for everyone. People felt more vulnerable and and it was much harder to reach out for support. People were unable to speak immediately to friends or family and to get advice. And I think there was a strong sense of isolation. But oddly, conversely, at the same time, some people were able to, to locate online support. And so they did come to us, which made it easier to, to pass people on to, to specialist services. Thank you, Sophie. It's amazing how quickly we've we've had to adapt um, to that to that changing need. And and Samantha, I know that we've been seeing similar things in the in the national helpline and the London Stalking Support Service. Can you tell us a little bit more about how victims at the London Stalking Support Service um, are presenting since the pandemic, and what um, trauma informed support can offer to individuals experiencing stalking at this time, given that particular um, trauma trauma we know that victims are experiencing and that Sophie's also um, alluded to um, that they're seeing. Yeah so similarly we've seen callers to the helpline presenting with much more distress, calls taking much longer and there really being that greater need for that emotional and psychological support during the pandemic. We know that victims of stalking are already often feeling quite isolated by what's going on and that's just been compounded by the pandemic and resulting in an even greater trauma. So we are really lucky to have been able to develop a new aspect of our service which focuses on providing what we're calling stalking specialist psychological advocacy. And this is a new form of advocacy in which uh, alongside our standard advocacy, which is focused really on practical needs and issues, we're also able to offer victims one-to-one -one sessions with a, an advocate that's trained in psychological methods to really be able to provide different coping mechanisms and strategies for victims to be able to to deal with some of those symptoms of trauma that they might be experiencing, whether it's related to post-traumatic stress or nightmares or you know, trouble sleeping, whatever they might be going through during that time. And that's something that we're in the early stages of rolling out, but so far have seen uh, really, really positive feedback from in the way that clients are just so happy to have a space where they can focus on the impact of the stalking and talk about it with someone that really understands what they're going through. Thank you, Samantha, for that overview of, of such an essential service. We know from some of the research that we've done um, in terms of the impact on mental health of, of victims that they often tell us that they, that stalking behaviour isn't identified and understood by other specialist services when they're approaching the NHS or other, um, other providers. So I know that we're not trying to replicate that um, intensive counselling service, but it's just fantastic that we're able to offer some sort of um, emotional and, and in-depth trauma support to those victims, particularly given that um, that impact and, and it's fantastic to hear um, that initial feedback that we're getting from 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 clients. Sophie, are there any particular trends or behaviours that are particularly concerning to you, which you have seen this past year? 
I think we've always seen that people often come to us about the sharing of their images and it's their first port of call. It's the behaviour that they've they've really recognised that where something is going really wrong for them. Um, so they, they don't necessarily recognise the patterns of behaviour. So when they tell us about the images, they'll tell us about other things that are happening. And as I say, we're often the first people that they've talked to. And I think in the last year, what we've seen is that a lot of these other behaviours have inevitably shifted much more online. So they will be um, abusive messages, um, a, a sense of being uh uh, followed across different platforms, fake accounts being produced uh, alongside the sharing of images. So uh, to us, those those are our big red flags uh, and will inevitably trigger a referral um, uh, to, to a service such as your own. And um, But one particular thing that we've seen has been the use of threats to share intimate images, which is always a very powerful threat um, in, a, in an abusive or coercive controlling relationship, but certainly as a use of, of, of stalking and, and harassing somebody and, and just having that, that sense of, of complete control over somebody's life. So it's been great news this year that we've seen uh, the criminalisation of threats to share that's coming through in the, the domestic abuse bill, which we hope to see enforced in the next couple of months. And, and that's a really important step change. I think it, it's going to uh, set that that cultural barrier that that this is not acceptable behaviour. And I hope, and I'm absolutely anticipating that we will see more people coming to us about that, uh, and that that we will be able to we will have some teeth in the help that we can give them at last. That's fantastic news to 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 hear that. And I and Samantha actually. I know that we've seen similar trends in in the National Stalking Helpline and the London Stalking Support Service in terms of the rise in cyber stalking behaviours as well. Um, could you just tell us a little bit bit more about that in terms of your experience? Yeah, so I mean, we had already seen over the years uh, an increase in cyber stalking behaviours, and that's something that was already a part of many stalking cases prior to the pandemic. But what we think is that the pandemic has really helped speed that up. So. Now, all of the cases that we are getting do have some cyber element, and it's not particularly surprising in that so much of our lives have moved online since the pandemic. You know, people are working remotely, attending school remotely. Um, so it really is that the perpetrators are going to where the victims are. And during the pandemic, the victims were online for, for much of their lives. Um, that doesn't mean, however, that the offline behaviors have stopped. And what we've also seen is that stalkers have used the COVID rules and regulations uh, really to their advantage um, as another means of trying to make contact or have control over their victims. So whether it is, you know, in periods when when restaurants and shops have been open throughout this pandemic, it might have been calling someone's boss and uh accusing them of having tested positive and coming to work as a means of forcing them into isolation, or it might be showing up at their doorstep and coughing on them uh, and, you know, really finding different ways to, to try to use um, COVID as, as a tactic, essentially, in their stalking behaviours. I wonder if you could both give us an example of what that really means. Uh, Samantha, to you first. Yeah, so you had mentioned earlier, Suki, that victims feel like sitting ducks uh, in lockdown, and that's certainly something that we've been seeing. Um, 
really, uh, you know, people have been constrained to their houses, which means that their stalkers actually know where they are at all times. And our usual safety advice that we are able to give, such as varying your daily routine, is is really difficult to apply in these situations. Um, there's that sense of, uh, yeah, always uh, their stalker always knowing where they are. The most at certain points of lockdown that people have been able to do is, you know, maybe go walk in the park or, or go to their local shop. And that's very, very predictable. So we've seen cases where the stalker is just loitering outside of that victim's home. Uh, you know, they're able to use the excuse, well, I'm just going on my daily exercise. So it can be quite difficult to to show uh, to the police that, uh, you know, this is this is actually stalking that's happening. This is not uh, people just staying in their local area as part of the COVID restrictions. And that sense of omnipresence is even uh, more stark when compounded with the cyber components as well. So you're you're sitting in your home where your stalker knows that you are, and then they might also just be incessantly contacting you online through all different sorts of platforms. Um, we've had cases, for example, where a woman uh, was uh, bugged in her home or somehow, uh, you know, there was some type of online surveillance occurring. And for example, if she would go and take a shower immediately after she would receive an email from her stalker saying, oh, I hope you feel nice and clean. So it, it, it was just you can imagine how terrifying that would be to be trapped in your home, going about your daily routine and feeling like you are, well, knowing you are being monitored and having that reported back to you. And actually, uh, with some of the clients that I've spoken with who are experiencing this, uh, what they've said is the part that scares them even more is what they don't know is being watched. So they, they'll get these messages about, you know, I'm here, I'm present, but they don't even know what else the stalker is doing and what else they might have access to and what else they might know. And that's uh, even more terrifying to be experiencing. Absolutely. And, and the report that we've launched this week for National Stalking Awareness Week highlights from victims um, that their their experience is exacerbated because those normal social networks that we might have ordinarily outside of a pandemic have have um, well disappeared in many cases. We've not been able to speak to our, uh, to to meet our friends and families and have that same level of um, contact, and that's really exacerbated that sense of isolation for victims. And Sophie, um, can you give us a, a, a specific case example? Is this something that's really struck you in a particular case over the course of over the last year? Absolutely. Uh, And I recognise everything that Samantha was just saying. But one case that particularly stood out for us was uh, a a woman had met a man on Plenty of Fish, uh, saw him a few times, wasn't working out. So she she stepped back and he started uh, what can only be described as a campaign of stalking. So he, he would continue to send her messages, even though she had said she didn't want to hear from him anymore. He set up fake profiles on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, he sent her emails asking peculiar questions that, that in themselves didn't seem threatening, but with a regularity. And she, of course, had expressed that she didn't want to receive those. And then he started sending things through the post. Um, he, he sent her a brick through the post and, and, and it all felt very threatening to her and, and one of the things that he did do was was threatening to share some intimate images that had been shared in their brief relationship and it's that 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 thing all these tiny uh incidents some flowers delivered or or just a, an innocuous message 
made her world feel so much smaller and so much more terrifying. Not able to leave the house, not able to reach out to those support networks as, as you normally would, were, was enormously intimidating for her. Absolutely. And this is where we know that the response of uh, specialist services such as ours are so vital, but also that the, the training and understanding of what stalking is by the criminal justice professionals who deal with this is, is absolutely pivotal. And again, our report showed that victims were um, unsatisfied with the police response in, in the main. Um, and, and largely that's because police didn't understand what you were saying there, Sophie, that pattern of behaviour. They didn't understand the context of what was occurring and often took those incidents in isolation rather than the, the full totality of those behaviours. So that brick was the one thing that they reported rather than the full context or that um, one email contact, Samantha, that you know, you're you explaining through that cyberstalking rather than the full context. And that really does a disservice in terms of understanding the full risk um, that, that victims are, are experiencing. Absolutely, that reflects exactly what we see. Yeah. Given this changing nature of the behaviours that we're seeing, this increased trauma, um, this sort of... Uh, the, 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 the demand that we're seeing on, on, on the helplines as well, um, question to both of you, how have you had to um, uh, pull together in terms of um, the delivery side of that? How have um, staff been able to deliver that? What have you had to do or change in order to support um, victims uh, Samantha, maybe to you first. Yeah, so in some ways we were quite lucky in that our helpline and advocacy service has historically been delivered mostly remotely. So we were really well set up to be able to continue seamlessly that service delivery as soon as the pandemic began by providing that advice by both phone and email to victims. Um, but at the same time, we were able to launch a, a new uh, aspect of our service, uh, which is also online, and it's an online assessment tool that will help victims uh, really kind of figure out whether or not what they're experiencing might be stalking to try to encourage people to reach out for that support. Because what we know is most uh, victims will experience 100 stalking incidents before they'll actually reach out for support. And often things will have really escalated at that point and could be quite dangerous. So we really want victims to feel encouraged already by the time we hit that second incident right at the earliest stage possible to uh, to reach out for support so that intervention can be made. So we have a tool called Am I Being Stalked? And what it does is it, it walks victims through uh, kind of step-by-step step, asking questions about what they are experiencing and providing uh, information and advice around that to help encourage people and recognize what may be happening to them. And the timing of this launch uh, with the pandemic and, and with people you know spending more time online, I think has been really, really beneficial to victims. And we've we've just seen huge uh, usage of the tool and it's it's been a real success thus far amazing thanks samantha sophie have you had to change your delivery methods in order to meet these needs we have uh back at the first lockdown uh we all had to move to working remotely which we don't normally do because of the nature of our cases and certainly of dealing with online content it's not really appropriate for people to do that from home so in the first lockdown so we had about three three and a half months where we couldn't really report much content and, and that was a real problem so 
once the early restrictions eased, we came back to the office and we have stayed there part of the time just so that we can stay on top of that because that's such important work and it's absolutely key to every victim that comes to us. If they've got content online, they want it gone as fast as possible. And of course, the sooner that we, we deal with that content, we can the, the better chance of success we have and of stopping it from spreading further, which is, is always a fear. So so that's been a priority for us. Um, and generally, it's been looking after the well-being of the staff. You know, it, it, this is hard. You know, we're, we're so dependent on each other for support that that the, the interruptions in that um, have been quite challenging. But, you know, it's a fantastic team and, and they're really, really committed to the work that we do. So we've just found found other ways of, of staying in touch and supporting each other so that we can still be there. We're using our website, you know, that, that's been absolutely key to providing advice and out-of-hours support. And, you know, we're here. We, 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 just, we just keep going. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to things being a little bit more normal, but I, I think it's going to be a while. Well, amazing to hear how those services have adapted to, to meet that need. Do you, do you think that demand for support around revenge porn will drop after restrictions are eased? Um, I, yeah, I don't, uh, to be honest. Um, I, I think the trajectory of these forms of online abuse uh, and stalking, harassment, that the whole raft of these behaviours isn't going to subside because I think so much of, of our online lives, as things have shifted, I don't think it's going to go back quite to how it was before I think we're going to carry on working more online studying more online more of our social lives online and that inevitably leaves uh, open opportunities for abuse and Pandora's box isn't just open now the lid has been completely opened yeah. wide so if you if you could give one piece of advice to victims of revenge porn what would that be reach out for help you're not alone there is help and support available to you and Come and find us at revengepornhelpline.org.uk or you can find us on the main social media platforms. Thank you. And, and finally, Samantha, um, just a quick question for you. What do you think the next few months will bring for the London Stalking Support Service? Well, we're definitely expecting that as we continue to ease out of lockdown, stalking behaviours will continue to change, adapt, and likely those offline behaviours will increase. Uh, so we, we are prepared to be really receiving an increase in, in calls and need over the next coming months. We were already, as the restrictions easing were, were being announced about a month ago, uh, we were already getting calls from people who were saying they felt both really sad and really scared because whereas the rest of the country is maybe really excited and looking forward to this easing of restrictions, victims of stalking know that this is yet another unknown stage in, in their stalking experience um, and are really worried about the way that, that stalkers are going to continue to adapt and change their tactics and behaviours as, uh, yeah, as things start to lift. So we are expecting an, an increase in need and are yeah, looking forward to being able to provide that extended support to people. Thank you so much, Samantha and, and uh, Sophie. This has been a really fascinating and eye-opening discussion in terms of the experience of victims and, and also how you've had to adapt those services to meet that need. And it seems clear that stalking and notably online and the use of revenge porn have not subsided during the pandemic and if anything it, it looks like it's set to increase so it's important to, to have these conversations across services and obviously share best practice as I know we work across all the all the national helplines thank you both for taking the time and for all the amazing work that you and the and your services are, are doing thank you Suki thank you 
If you are a victim of stalking, please remember you can call us on the National Stalking Helpline on 0808 802 0300 and press option 2 for the London Specific Support Service. You can also contact the Susie Lampley Trust on any matter relating to stalking or personal safety. You can visit our website at www.susielampley.org or email us at info at Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.